Hey, go to Psalm 2. We're continuing a, an exciting series on the summer psalms is what we're calling it. Taking a little break from a series I started about a month ago. Psalm chapter 2, there's a, there's a Bible in front of you uh, if you need to borrow that. And we took a little break in, in the summer season. Uh, I was talking to you about a vision and kind of a foundation for Bethel as we we're moving things forward. As people are navigating in and out through vacations and so forth, uh, we wanted to take a break and go into something a little bit different and hear from the Psalms. Hear from the Psalms. How many of you guys have already been on summer, some type of summer vacation already? All right, how many of you guys are going on some type of summer vacation already? How many of you guys are too insecure to raise your hands this Sunday? All right, that's fine. Hey, it's a place to be honest. That's all. I'm just wondering. I'm trying to get into your business a little bit. Uh, But we do have people moving around, and uh, summer is an excellent time. How many of you guys love summer? All right. I I love the summertime. I still feel like a kid. I want to go to the beach. And uh, if you can't hear the bell ring anymore, I hope to, to help your ears open again so you can enjoy this time. But this should be a season when we get to breathe. I really think it is a natural way for us to take a breath. Um, but, but in reality, it's incredibly hard to enjoy life when we're full of worry. Yeah? Now, tell me, guys, be, be, be crazy honest. After all, it is Sunday. Be crazy honest with me. How many of you guys have caught yourself trying to get some form of rest through some type of vacation or whatever it may be, and you find yourself on your cell phone reading all the bad things going on in this world? Absolutely, it's the way we roll. Or what you do is you go on a vacation, or we go on a vacation. I tend to do this. I'll go on a vacation with my wife, and I will talk about work. I mean, my job is perfect, right? But if I did another job and wasn't the pastor of Bethel Christian Church, my job may be hard. And so it's, it's, very, it's very easy to go to, to some type of uh, uh, breathtaking place for the summer. And, and, and what you do is you begin to talk about all the bad things going on. But here's the reality of it, guys. As human beings, it is very hard to relax and enjoy this time of year when we're full of worry. So I want to help us unload some of our burdens this summer. And I want to do it by looking at ancient songs. Can you believe that? There's a book in the Bible called The Psalms. And really, it's an ancient hymn book. It's an an ancient um, book of songs designed around building hope as God's people. And here's how the Psalms work. The Psalms work much like your latest iTunes album that you purchased. How many of you guys have recently purchased some album on iTunes? I want you to think about this because the parallel is just fantastic. Why do we buy these albums? Why do you buy music? Why, why do you go onto iTunes and it's a $9.99 album and you go ahead and hit purchase? We buy these albums because the songs speak into our stories and into our situations. Is that true? How many of you guys are still addicted to some 80s love song that got you through a season in 1984? Absolutely. Now, I was not raised, raised in a Christian home. We were raised on like Wu-Tang Clan. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't even worry about it. No big deal. But to this day, I can hear these certain beats in my mind. 
And that's why, for one, I don't listen to a lot of Christian hip-hop because I revert right back to gangster rap, you know what I mean? But music has that way about us of, of through rhythm and rhyme and poetry. They're very poetic. Music has a way of kind of sticking with us. And it's designed that way so good godly songs could come into our head. Poetry about God could go into our head and we could use it for years and years. So we buy these albums because they speak into our stories and, and we hear uh, whoever, whatever the latest artist is, they'll, they'll, they'll have 15 or 12 or 9 different tracks on, a, on an album and one of them is about love and one of them is about revenge. If it's a country album, they're all about revenge. <sighs> but we relate. And just like any album, the Psalms have 150 songs that you can download into your minds and into your heart for free. And it's amazing. Because just like your favorite album that deals with everything from a great party to a a great love life to a great adventure to some brokenness and pain that someone poured into your heart, the Psalms do the same thing. They speak to issues such as loneliness, love, awe, Sorrow, regrets, failure, betrayal, shame, fear, anger, peace, romance, joy, celebration, victory, hope, on and on we can go. This book is full of messages that speak right to our stories. And if we can grab a hold of these things and put them into our minds and hearts, it's going to change us. And what's happening, what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts, what, what happens when you read and sing the Psalms. And by the way, I'm now praying through the Psalms. I prayed through the second Psalm all week. And you're like, how does that work? I don't really know. God speaks to me, I speak back. I read the Psalm, he's speaking to me, I'm praying as he's speaking to me back. And I'm going to pray through all of these. And and by the end of the week, guys, I I met my wife over, I don't know what day it was, Friday or something at Muddy's Coffee. And, And the psalm, the second psalm was so buried into my mind and heart and I was so full of hope that when she showed up and she's like, how you doing? I just began to pour Psalm 2 out onto her. That's what we need. So what happens when you read and sing these psalms and you put them in your mind and your emotions is that your mind and emotions begin to be shaped by these psalms. And so we begin to look at this great songbook, this great album of God. And the first song that we looked at was a song about finding true happiness last week. You can, you can get that on our website. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the second song in this album, this 150-song album. And this second song is a little darker. You know how it works when you play an album, that first one, and you're just like, man, I'm so excited to listen to this whole album. All nine tracks are going to be phenomenal. And then you get into that second one, you're like, ooh, that was kind of dark, man. That, That did something to me. Well, the second song works kind of the same way. And really what the second song is about, guys, is the condition of our world's. And no doubt, it gets dark. And it it does something to my heart and mind to know that many, many years ago, as this song was written about the world that was then, it's the same song that we can sing today. And if they can find hope back then in a world gone wrong, we can find hope today in our world gone wrong. 
So question number 53, how many of you are really struggling with the condition of our country? If you are not, can we talk after church? Because I'm either going to ruin your day or you're going you're to better my day, one of the two. If you have found a way out of this, I want to know. How about our world's? As if, as if our country isn't enough, and then we, we edge out into the world through the news and so forth, and it's, it's hard out there. It makes it hard to enjoy life when you're in a world like we live in. It makes it hard to enjoy summer. It makes it hard to go down to that beach and figure out how to enjoy life when we're surrounded and robed in the world that we're in. And if you just want to get this on a micro level, it's hard to live in San Francisco, as amazing as as this city is, and as much as I love it, with all of its problems, and find a way to truly be happy. We have economic instability, ISIS, the condition of San Francisco as a city, Clinton versus Trump. Hello? I'm not even going to tell you where my political stance is. It's just not there. I mean, this is getting crazy. I I saw a billboard, and it said this. It said something like this. Some of you guys put it on Facebook. I thought this was just brilliant. And um, uh, what, what did it say? It said something like, can we not vote and have a president this term and just be really cool to each other and get along? Maybe for you it's the condition of a child or, or what uh, a city has done or, or drugs or something like that. We all have our, our pain. We all have our worry about the world around us. And in an age of the smartphone, it's hard to let your mind go, isn't it? Because we have a constant inflow, a constant downloading of information about our worlds. And if you're worried about the state of our world or you're struggling with anxiety in general, this song is for you. How do you like that? And so what we're going to do is we're going to breeze through Psalm 2 very quickly. You still with me? All right. And this song is going to go something like this. There's two vocalists in this song. There's two people who we're going to, we're going to hear sing. There's two parts, if you will. And after we listen to the song, what we should feel after we listen to the second vocalist is a whole lot of relief about our worlds. You ready? We're going to walk out of here full of hope about our worlds. Go ahead. Let's just do it. One of us claps. We all clap. Remember, that's the rule. Two voices this morning in Psalm 2, Psalm 2, about not only the condition of our world, but where we can find hope in our world. Number one, the voice of society. That's the first singer that we pick up in this second psalm. The voice of society. Write that down. So it's as if our society is going to sing at God in this song, and then God is going to sing at society. We're just going to find out who wins. 2-1, here's the voice of our society. Why do the nations rage? What are they raging about? And the people's plot in vain. What are they plotting against? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. What are they counseling about? What are they planning about? 
against the Lord and against his anointed. Against the Lord, against Christ. Saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So there is something going on in our world that says, we don't want God. Get God away from us. Now, as a Christian, I'm going to attribute most of the condition of our world to this act of the world pushing God away. But in all fairness, I will say that many people who claim to serve God have damaged this world. But here's what I want you to see as society sings at God The problem between God and humans has to do with a great conflict for control. Do you get that? The reason our world, or at least one of the major reasons our world is in the condition that it is in, is because there is a massive cosmic tug-of-war for control. Humans want control. God is in control. That is a collision. That is creating all kinds of collisions. That is, uh, in essence, what's happening even in this great city of San Francisco in a thousand different ways. Our society is pressing, now watch this, don't lose me here. Our society is pressing expressive individualism into every part of our culture. Expressive individualism. We are growing as a culture into this... um, hyper-liberated mindsets that the greatest virtue in our culture is to be radically free to be whoever you want. Now, I will say that part of that is very, very good and powerful. Amen? But it also begins to, to, to brink. It also begins to go past a certain line. Because in the, in the name of being in control as a human being, In the name of uh, being liberated as a human being, we begin to do things with issues like sexuality that begin to actually buckle a culture. We begin to do things to gender. That while, yes, it is a liberating idea to be free, culture cannot sustain when you begin to tamper with certain things like gender. Uh, Many of you were here. How many of you guys were here in the 60s? It's okay. Don't worry. We love you. Hate Ashbury stuff? Okay, that whole movement was a a movement of liberation for the human soul to be who you want to be, and the whole thing backfired in drugs. You think about just choice. Uh, Pop culture. Popular culture everywhere around us is making heroes out of people who radically shake off any control to defy bondage. Those are our heroes today. Do you guys get that? Those are our heroes today. Now, I do want to say that there is, there is unruly, anti-God, terrible, awful bondage that needs to be destroyed over the human soul in much of our culture. But human beings are not designed to be fully liberated outside of a loving God to lead us. Super quiet and awkward in here. Feel free to say amen at any point. And I want you to know that religion can be one of the great oppressors of a person being free. So don't think the answer is religion. Religion has done more damage in this world. 
So when, when we think of the culture, the, one of the worst things Christians can do is create an us versus them mentality. It's not an us versus them thing. When you think of what's going on as people are struggling out there in this great city, and you see people in, in the name of liberty, and we saw it all day yesterday at the BBBB. In the name of liberty, they're doing what can be deemed um, damaging acts of expression to their own lives. I want you to understand why they're doing it and why they're not turning to God. I want you to look at Psalm 2-3. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Here's a great example, guys. Here, <clears throat> here's a great way for us to enter the mind of our culture. The culture is singing out, we don't want your God because we believe your God creates bondage. Do you see it right there in 2-3? And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking the same thing. Uh, the reason I don't mess with this Christian stuff and the reason that I don't come here is because I was raised in a home and God was a God of bondage. My, my parents really wrapped this thing around me and it hurt me. And that's probably the number one problem with our culture not receiving Christ and coming into the church is the way that God is portrayed. And that song we sang even this morning, I've heard a lot of stories about who you are, God. And most of them are dead wrong. Somewhere along the line, God has been terribly misrepresented as a bondage maker in our culture. And for most, if we're honest... The thought of religious control feel, feels like an all-out assault by God on some poor person's dreams and comfort. And until the church starts painting God the way he wants to be painted, as a loving father who wants to bring them in and give them new life in a community of very broken, jacked-up people who are going along the, the adventure together, this culture won't embrace us. The song won't change. So be careful, Christian, how you paint our God. Be careful how you judge. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's right. Let's, let's represent God correctly in this city that's so damaged. But I read Psalm 2-3, and I thought to myself, oh, that's what my loved ones who, who want nothing to do with my God are actually feeling and thinking. That's the people I meet over at Muddy's or in the, at Phil's coffee shop. <clears throat> this is the battle they're in. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. I don't want your God. He'll, he'll strangle my life. I'll lose my personality. I'll lose my dreams. I won't be able to struggle with things anymore. I've got to become this thing anymore. And it's like, no, you've got the wrong idea of our God, verse 3. I want to change your song you sing about our God. Keep a finger in Matthew 2 and look at Matthew 11. I think sometimes I'm more concerned um, with churches than I am with the culture. With the church and the way it represents God. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Jesus didn't much like religion either. Now here's what Jesus says, and this is the real Jesus. This is the real God that this culture doesn't understand. He says, come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Now we always, we always say that to each other in kind of this Christian cliche thing. That's not talking about us. Here's what he's saying. The religious rulers over Judaism, 
have so oppressed you and crushed you and misrepresented our God to you through all of the religious rules and their force and their anger. Jesus says they've got the whole thing wrong. They're misrepresenting God the Father completely. Come unto me. Let me show you the image of God. My, my burden and my yoke is, 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 is small. It's light. It's beautiful. It's life-giving. Is that, is, that how the, is that how the culture thinks of our God? I hope our God is not represented. Ah, let me just do the political thing for a little bit. I hope our God is not represented by right-wing Republican Christians. That is not our God. Let, let God define who he is through his own words. He doesn't fall in a political camp. He doesn't look white or anything else. Let him explain who he is. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Get away from those religious people. They're, they're killing the name of God. And he says, come unto me. Let me introduce you to the real God. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my bondage upon you. And learn from me, for I'm gentle. I'm not going to burden you. It's not, it's not going to crush you. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. You're, you're going to find rest not labor serving me. You're going to find rest. Rest for your soul, the deepest part of you. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I would say one of the most fundamental problems in our society and the rejection of God is how God is being portrayed to them. Let's change that song. Yeah, God does want control. God wants control like a father who builds a fence around a front yard so a child can be free yet protected. My God is not, is not a bondage creator in my life. And our world looks more like the kids burning down the fence and destroying the neighborhood because they're told that the dad in the house is, is this terrifying, controlling dad. Is there any hope? Oh, yeah. And so God begins to break into this song. I love verse 3. It's, it's the culture saying, get this bondage away from us. Get, us. get this God away from us. And God breaks in in verse 4, and he starts singing this song. He starts singing and recreating their song. Number two, the voice of God. God, sing. Sing to our culture. God, sing through us a new song to this world. Watch his song. Psalm 2, 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Now that's a poetic picture of God's control. Even though God is being misrepresented and that culture is trying to control everything out there and do things their way and reject God, what four is saying, what God is saying is, although you're trying, I'm still in control. The Lord holds them in derision. I love this. Our society in, in 2-4 is pictured as marching, as agitated, as going at it politically, changing the way schools are run, and God is sitting. He's sitting down. I'm worried it's all going down. It's all over here. And God is sitting down. I love, I love the picture. He's just sitting there. I'm in control. I haven't lost control. What in the world are you up to, God? I wouldn't mind if you at least stood. 
What is God up to? Do something here, God. Is God just letting our world go? You ever wrestled with that question? Well, let me tell you something. That anytime God does anything, he does a thousand things. And I want you to notice how God deals with our culture that doesn't want him. He retaliates. Oh, he retaliates. You want to know how God retaliates? God retaliates with compassion and mercy. That's a whole lot different than some of the the different camps that we see representing our God. He retaliates radically and violently on his son on Calvary's cross to bring these people back to God. Psalm 2.5. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. Oh, there's justice with God. God is bound to deal with the people that reject him as sovereign. But watch how he works this out and terrify them in his fury saying, now here comes the wrath of God. Here comes the anger of God. Here comes the justice of God. Surely he's going to wipe San Francisco out, right? No, verse 6, watch the song shift. Just when you're listening to this song and thinking, oh man, this is God, look at him go. He's about to crush this thing. The song shifts and you hear this different line come out. He says, as for me, verse 6, here's how I'm going to deal with this culture. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That is the cross of Jesus Christ. I'll deal with their rebellion. I'll deal with the rejection of me. I'll bring my son down to this earth to die for them so they can be saved, so their hearts can be turned and they can hear the true message of the gospel and know that I'm a loving God who wants to take them back in, bring them into the community of riffraffs called the church and give them a new life. Zion. That's how God retaliated on this world. Calvary. The cross. So if it's Trump or it's Hillary or if it's something going on out there in the culture, I want to ask you a question. How are you retaliating? Are we retaliating with the gospel? We want to see him saved. People are not the enemy. We got this thing all wrong. It's Christians against the... No, no, no. People are not the enemy. People are the victims of the enemy. Sin is the enemy. Here's what God is doing. And this is why I can walk down Valencia or any other street in Sacramento, uh, in San Francisco. Where am I? After putting this psalm in my heart Friday night, and Friday night gets crazy around here. This is the only reason I can walk down these streets on a Friday night in the middle of San Francisco and love these people and not worry about the chaos because I, I, I understand through Psalm 2, through the song that's in my heart, what God is doing. Here's what God is doing. God is allowing things to get worse. <laughs> and here's Why? So people grow exhausted doing it their way. Do you know that is a mechanism of God? Do you know you've done it with your kids? Stubborn little rascal. No, I'll do it my way and they don't want you. You want help? Well, 
The moment you want help, I'll fix it for you. I don't want help. You know how they do that thing? Maybe not your kids. And they do that thing. They're getting red in the face and they start glancing over at mom or dad. And and finally they get to the point where they're so frustrated that they throw the thing down and they look to dad and they go, help! And dad has been sitting, laughing a little. You know, just kind of laughing inside, just like. So goes the little one. Romans 1, Romans 2, Psalm 2, it's the same thing God does to this world. He says, fine, exhaust sin. You know how I got saved? I got exhausted sinning. I got tired of sinning. Like partying and stuff, you know, it was just like, I hate this lifestyle. And that is when a guy told me about this amazing God that I was like, absolutely. Yes, I want to be saved. Yes, I want to be forgiven of my sins. This, I hate this life. So God is very patiently allowing San Francisco to run its course, allowing our kids to run their course, our loved ones, our neighbors, so they will grow exhausted by their sins. And that is why I said these alternative lifestyles are a real thing. I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying they're just a fad or something like that. But people are going to wear away trying new things with sexuality and all the rest. I mean, if, if our marriages aren't satisfying, if we know we've got to find something deeper in this life with God, and so you can look out on that city and just... Just have so much compassion that God is allowing everyone to exhaust themselves in all these alternative lifestyles. And then he's left us right in the middle. You say, oh man, I'm so tired of being in the middle of all this. You're the key. You're the key. You're the answer. Because every time you enter some broken person who's so tired of the lifestyle, every time you enter their story through a garage sale or whatever, a fellowship hall sale or a parking garage sale or whatever we did there or or work or just at a coffee shop. Every time you enter into their story and you begin to hear them break down, oh man, and it takes takes nothing less than a 30-second conversation before somebody is telling you how hard their life is. God is allowing them to be exhausted by sin and then he's dropping you right in the middle of it all to be the light and to say, look man, I'm telling you, I don't want to weird you out but I have got this God, this Christian God. Again, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Don't leave. And he's amazing. He's freed me. Man, whatever you've heard about Christianity, I want you to know the real God of Christianity. The reason we're left in the middle of all the chaos is to be there when someone has had enough. N.T. Wright, the scholar, says, when God wants to take charge of the world, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the meek. He sends in the meek and the humble person who realizes that without Jesus, they'd be in the same place, who's just there at the right time when that neighbor's pulling out. Or taking the trash cans out, or a daughter who's struggling, or whatever it may be. Just that meek person who doesn't have it all together, but man has a God who's got it all together. And it's, ah, it's not this facade, it's not, you know, want to come to church? 
put the suit on, let's pretend it's all right. No, it's letting them know it's not all right in my life, but my God has grown us, and he's been so good to us, and things are getting better. And we have this amazing community of broken people. You'll fit right in. That's the message, the meek. So the voice of the culture says, we don't want your God. Psalm 2, 1 to 3. He's bondage. Religion's killed, and it has. And God sings back and says, I have poured out my anger on my son for you. So you could be free, and you could be rested in your soul and come to me. Now, Christian, go speak the gospel message to these people. So there's a plan behind the chaos. I have people every week who come to me and they say, Pastor John, what is going on in this world? There's a plan behind the chaos. The world is going to pieces by God's design so humans finally look up and Christians are standing there in those moments to lead them to the loving Savior. That's why I'm not, and someone's going to send me a nasty email on this, but I, I love you. That's why I'm not too concerned with who goes in the White House. Because there's a plan behind the chaos. Go ahead and let even the government exhaust everything. And I want to tell you that this plan can't be stopped. Look at Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That is when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. In other words, Jesus is coming on the scene. His ministry has started. He's, He's going to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? So the plan behind the chaos will work. Verse 8, ask of me, God says, and I will make the nations your heritage. In other words, here's what God is saying. Let the whole world fall apart. I'm allowing the whole thing to fall apart, and I'm putting Christians in every country throughout the whole world, so when these people become exhausted from sin, my people will point them to the true and loving God, and people in every nation all over the world will be saved. In verse 8, he says, in the ends of the earth, your possession. That's a sweet plan. And if that's not enough to fill us with hope, guys, that, yeah, things are bad out there, but there's a beautiful plan behind it, and God is working in the heart of every human being in this city. To draw them to himself. Let us awaken and open our eyes and be there and represent our God well when God gives us those opportunities. It's a pretty good song, isn't it? Ah, he's not done though. If that's not enough to fill us with hope, there's one more line to the song. Maybe you're saying, yeah, that's all fine for you, but I'm still struggling. Ah, Okay, there's one more line to the song. You want to hear it? Because the song keeps getting better. You, you want to do this next week? L- let's hear it. Let's hear it before we leave. It goes something like this. The total work of Christ is nothing less than to redeem this entire creation. 
Psalm 2, verse 8, ask of me and I will save people throughout the whole world. That's the plan. I'm letting the world go to pieces so people will become exhausted by sin and I'm putting my people right there to lead them to me. People throughout the whole world are going to be saved. Now watch this, second part of verse 8, and the ends of the earth, your possession. You know what he's saying? Not going to be like this forever. Jesus Christ is coming back. And all the sad things will become untrue. Ah, let's do it. Let's go to Romans 8. I got to show it to you. So even if the first part of the song, the plan, ah, maybe that doesn't do it for you. Check this out. The world that we live in, the sunshine that we will feel today and the wind that will blow on us today and the ocean that we will see today is a marred picture of what is coming. In all of its beauty and all of the laughter and the good foods that we will taste, it is a shadow of the world that's coming. Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with what's coming. All that we have to go through, all that we have to endure with government and and fires and broken economies, it's nothing compared to this experience when a new world breaks into this old and dying world. There's a resurrection of the earth coming. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's as if everything created knows something has gone wrong and they're, they're, they're longing, they're reaching. And what they're watching is for Christian people to be resurrected so they can follow suit and be made right. That's the restlessness in the ocean. That's the restlessness in animal life. They know something's wrong. But they know something's coming. Verse 20, for the, for the creation, the cosmos, the universe was subjected to fertility. It was made useless, not because it wanted to be useless, because of God who was forced to curse it. My translation. But we have hope. That the creation itself, guys, don't worry about the election so much. Don't worry about what's going on in this world so much because the creation itself is going to be set free from this bondage. You will not hear that ever again. It took a lot of money to set that siren up at this time. It's going to be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. A new earth is coming. A resurrected earth is coming. And we can all feel it. Habakkuk is an actual book in the Bible. 2.14. You go down to the ocean and you ponder this. This is a 50-minute sermon. I'm going to get fired for this. I want you to ponder Habakkuk 2.14. 
And you go down to the ocean and you tell me when this earth is made new and we have no more pain, no more corruption of government, we only have partying and laughter and adventure and friendship and worship, how in the world this even works? The glory of God will on that day forever and ever, it will cover the earth. Everywhere I go, I will know the the intimacy and the fellowship with God like I've never known it. I will walk through the woods and walk into San Francisco made new and I will say, I I know this place. I think I've been here. Yeah, I've been here before, but this is what it was supposed to really look like. And see people walking down the street and then walking to the mission district and smell foods like I've never smelled them before. A new earth will be made. And God's presence and God's glory, I, I will be able to feel it. I don't worry so much about what's going on. It's, it's all going away. The glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14. You go down to the ocean and you tell me how water covers the sea. They're one. Exactly. God's glory and presence will be so woven into everything. Man, life like we've never known it. God's doing a work in this city by allowing people to exhaust themselves in sin so we can be there for him. But if that's not enough, the song ends so beautifully and it's God singing to you that Jesus Christ is going to come and make this whole creation right. The suffering, the present suffering of this time have nothing on the glory that's coming. Hang in there. Johnny Erickson, Erickson Tata, a beautiful, amazing woman, paralyzed I want you to walk after church today and think about these words that she wrote do you feel the forest's loneliness do you see the ocean's agitation do you hear longing in the cries of the birds do you see blood and pain in the eyes of wild animals Or the mixture of pleasure and pain in the eyes of your pets. Something on this earth is terribly wrong. Do you sense creation's restlessness? Can you hear the sighing in the winds? Can you feel the heavy silence in the mountains? And then she writes this. We're worried, worried Christian. She writes this to you. Something's coming. Something soon. Something better. Look for it. Expect it. Prepare for it. It is the Lord. It is heaven on earth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And I pray with all my heart to you that whatever worry or hopelessness you may have, that you would let God sing 
so much hope into your heart. He wants to use us to be the answer to this culture's pain. And if that wasn't amazing enough, there's a finish line to this. There's a finish line. When all of creation is made new. I think we can endure this a little longer. Let your burdens fall away. Leave from this place, trust in God, sunshine on your skin. Knowing that a world that was is coming again. Of dancing. Bodies that are as quick as fire. Minds that are poetic and beautiful. Unity. Hearts that are knit like never before. Oneness with nature. Song sung so powerfully. We hear it in our bodies, our souls, our minds. And God himself dwelling in the middle of it all. Let your burdens roll away. Enjoy the summer. Pray to him. Pray that he'd sing this to you. Just take a few minutes to allow God to minister to you this morning before we sing.